Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, the podcast where we learn from cybersecurity experts how to stay safe, private, and secure on the cloud and in code. CSCP is hosted by Francesco Cipollone, your cybersecurity friend with a passion for all things cyber and sharing stories of other professionals with you. This episode is brought to you by the generosity of Phoenix Security Limited. Phoenix helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security supply chain visibility by leveraging the power of correlation and contextualization. Discover how Phoenix Security helps CISO and security engineers act fast, prevent burnout, and implement DevSecOps at the speed of cloud. Phoenix Security. Correlate, contextualize, and act on risk with one click. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. This is your host, Francesco, and today I'm here with a good friend from the same industry, from different side of the pond, <laughs> Christophe Parisel, that uh, we've been interacting quite a lot with Chris on cloud security matters and vulnerabilities, and he's done some quite interesting research on the subject, and hence why I said, Chris, come on the show, tell everybody what you've been working on and, and how you, you start structuring this research. But before we, we dive deeper, Christoph, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit more about you. Yes, thanks, Frank. Thanks a lot for inviting me. I'm very, uh, very pleased and honored to, to, to participate. Uh, and uh, I'm, uh, thank you very much for your interest in, in what I'm doing. Before we delve into that, I would like to just give you some background. I've, I've, I've been working on the, on the cloud um, for, uh, since 2015 now. I started with uh, working on at a time where, let's say, the security industry was really, really uh, pioneering the cloud. We we had AWS, which was a little bit more advanced in terms of security features, but it was not much more than the others. And I quickly onboarded on Azure and AWS in 2015. And at that time, what's interesting is that uh, you know that Azure was a, a bit of a challenger in terms of cloud. They were more doing IaaS and PaaS and uh, for security. They, they were still seeking, looking for uh, which postures you should take to differentiate from AWS. So that at that point that, uh, you know, I work for a big, uh, a big French bank and the opinions, by the way, that I would express to their mind and not necessarily that of my employer. But at that time, I was working for this very big bank. We were interested in moving to the cloud. And of course, we had security concerns about the, the cloud. And uh, Microsoft at the same time was looking for a, a way to build up uh, its security posture in Asia. And so we met at that time, and I, try, I started to work with uh, Redmond on several of their security uh, products. And we jointly, jointly uh, co-constructed uh, two security products, which are called Azure Policy and Azure Firewall. So they were they were real kind of joint uh, joint creation from uh, from both sides uh, in terms of. Uh, global uh, design. Of course, uh, most of the work was done by Microsoft as far as the implementation is concerned. So what's interesting to to see here is that uh, I really uh, took part of the construction of uh, cloud security, especially in, in Azure. So I've been looking at how it evolved 
since uh, seven years. Uh, and we, we've seen a lot of uh, tools. There are a lot of now tools which have been sprawling for the cloud. We have seen up uh, cloud security posture management, a lot, a lot of uh, uh, tools. All the C's. Uh, all the C's, <laughs> right. Plus, plus all the stuff that uh, comes into Kubernetes as well, because Kubernetes has been exploding. Mm. And uh, with Kubernetes, you have a lot of tools that you pretty much have to embody. You have no choice to use many tools for uh, for many reasons, not only security, but for, for achieving a production-grade uh, performance for your applications, you have to, to have a lot of tools. So we used to have pretty much nothing. Now we have, uh, I would say, too much. So the evolution is, uh, is really, uh, it's, it's, it's a normal order of natural order of things, I would say. But I, I am really, really a big, big, big defender of cloud-native or let's say native cloud security, meaning that uh, as far as possible, I, I always try to advocate and to give people this advice is to, to stick to the minimum viable critical mass of products that you can live uh, with. Don't try to uh, use too many tools. Try to stick to the native ones if you can, because they are usually the more power, very powerful because they are built in the backends of the cloud providers. It is the best way to capture events at the source. They are now usually scalable because all what the cloud providers do is, is scalable. Some of them are free. Not all are free, but some tools are free, like Azure Policy, for example. So as much as possible, we should use native tools and, and tr- not try to, to run after too many uh, uh, rabbits at, at the same time. So yeah, that, that's a global thing. So I've been very interested into cloud security for seven years. I have a, So I, I have also on my side experimented with a native cloud approach, and I'm trying to develop or to design new features which are always based on cloud-native stuff, and maybe we'll have time to discuss this. But yeah, this is just to give you a brief overview of my interest and, and where I came from. No, that's great. And I think being being following as you from the very early days in the cloud, and I see the evolution from the very horrible user interface, as, as you directed, the directory was probably the first baby of, of there, and then sprawl a number of service from it. And now we have the full stack, you know, Defender for Cloud and all the other security sentinel and, and others that have sprawled. And I and I'm completely with you on, on cloud native. What do you think, for example, that there's been a lot of debate now that the capital crunch has come to a little bit forefront on a lot of organizations that a lot of work has said, well, it's probably safer and cheaper to go back to on-prem and to do things on-prem. I've seen more trends around this. And on one end, I think, from my perspective, I think cloud is not cheaper, but is more efficient to actually run a cloud a cloud shop because, for example, you mentioned firewall. You, you will have all the firewall back in the days. Now, you know, you can turn it on from, from a configuration yeah. perspective. <laughs> yeah, I think you, I completely agree. Uh, it might not be cheaper, but... Uh, since everything is as code, it means that uh, automation is king. And where, especially for security, of course, uh, we have more resiliency, we have security at scale. But uh, think about the framework of security, uh, the uh, mm-hmm. operational management of controls, running controls in the cloud, running controls in any information systems. When you do this the old way, uh, you have usually a lot of people uh, working on uh, on manual controls, I would say, because not everything is uh, is easy to automate on prem, right. uh, and because not everything is easily integrated. Also, uh, in the cloud, we, we have this wonderful integration between all services. We have this uh, 
this silver bullet, which is the, the CMDB, we have a real-time CMDB in the cloud, uh, and it is managed by the cloud provider itself. It's uh, AWS Resource uh, Resource uh, Explorers. You have Azure uh, Resource Graph, and all these are real-time sets which are uh, really, really invaluable. And you can, uh, you should leverage on, on this mass of very accurate information to build automated controls, which you can't really uh, do uh, on premises, or it's much more difficult, I believe. Yeah, no, I agree. We we kind of inherit, we kind of solve by default a lot of problems with cloud adoption, but we also introduce. I guess, mistake by default, because mm -hmm. in their very early days, nobody was used to uh, doing things. And there was the, probably the most uh, the most famous S3 open bucket for everybody, because the beginning of the days, adoption was more important than security. Now, do you feel that the, the card have changed or the table has changed, but security is more important than adoption? I would say that you uh, when you move to the cloud, uh, sooner or later, if, if you're a medium to big, Corporation, you are uh, you are caught up by the police patrol. I mean, you cannot go really into production massively to production if you if you haven't properly addressed security. So um, I wouldn't say that the tendency is reversed, but it, it's just that uh, the balance is now more uh, is as more tilted towards security naturally. Well, there is there is some re people have come to realize that uh, without security they cannot go very far. It might unfortunately be a reason also why people consider moving back to on-premises, but I think this would be, uh, if it's, if security is a reason why you move back to on-premises, it, it would be, I mean, I mean, a strategic error, I guess, because it's security is something to here to help you. You have to be aware of the cloud shared responsibility model, something that we talk a lot about. Uh, it's, it's been there for, since the beginning, cloud provider always states very clearly that there is a cloud shell responsibility model. It's just that us customers have a tendency to overlook it. But today, uh, in 2023, we cannot ignore the shared responsibility model anymore. We have to put actions in, in facing each of the bullets of this cloud shared security model in terms of tasks which, which we have to handle. We cannot neglect them anymore, right. as opposed to a few years ago. And on, and on that subject, actually, what is the cloud shared responsibility model? How, how do you see that? Like, because a lot of people say the cloud is either secure or insecure, but this, is it actually? Well, <laughs> that's a good question. And it's a, with lots, lots of axes we could take. For me, the cloud shared responsibility model, first, of course, as I said, it delineates clearly what you as a customer have to do. And so you have many things to do and there are many ways to do it good or bad. You have pitfalls. If you go native cloud, I think, of course, because I'm, I'm a bit biased, but I think it's a, the best way to go native, uh, meaning to leverage uh, the native capability of the cloud providers to do your secure by design share of the work. <laughs> uh, it's not perfect, of course. Not everything uh, is uh, possibly to be done natively, but uh, as far as possible. But, but also, there is the other side. It is uh, the, the, the responsibility of the provider. Usually, uh, when we talk about uh, security uh, breaches, we, we think, as you said, of uh, S3 buckets, which are open to, uh, to the wild. Um, most of the time, we say it's, it's a fault of the uh, customer. Right. And it is true because 
there is an imbalance in the, in the cloud model. On one side, you have three mainstream cloud providers, and on the other side, you have tens of thousands of customers. So statistically, we could say, okay, it's, it makes sense that uh, most of the breaches come from the customers. But if there is a breach on the customer or the provider side, uh, we can imagine that the impact will be orders of magnitude bigger because it will impact just everybody. So we have to take care of, of this side of the shared responsibility model. And I think that one of the big, big, big lessons we, we learned from uh, 2021 from the first uh, research companies which started to explore provider security is that, yes, a cloud provider can fail like anybody else. They, they have uh, weak spots. We have to be aware of them. We have, and we, it's, it's, I think that the fact that these weak spots are often higher critical in terms of severity, it's very good for the global awareness of everybody. We shouldn't just close our eyes when we talk about the provider side of the cloud share responsibility model. The providers have rights and duties, and we need to have an oversight over what they're doing, I guess, because in case of failure, it, it will impact us. And uh, that's why it's very interesting to see all these uh, researchers and pen testers, auditors who are trying to uh, to get into the cloud. Because before 2021, we had no idea. Uh, uh, it, it was like a black box, right? Cloud providers were black boxes. We didn't. We well, we assumed they were very good and very secure, and they still are. As they, they've always been very very secure in a way. But they have their weak spots. We have to know that they have, and we have to. Uh, to take that into account, uh, and maybe we will discuss this uh, in a few seconds, what, what it means to take this into account. Before taking uh, lessons from, from the researchers' discoveries, we have to find a way to measure, to measure what they discover in a way which is understandable, uh, which is comparable, and in a way which is relatively similar to what we do usually in our industry, with CVSS, CVE, we have a way to, to rate vulnerabilities, to give them a base score, uh, an environmental score. So I think it's important. This concept of vulnerability and provider vulnerabilities is important for, for us to feel the temperature, to feel the heat, how good, how bad, what's good, what's wrong, what, what's going on in, in the cloud packets. Right. This episode is brought to you by the generosity of Phoenix Security Limited. Phoenix helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security supply chain visibility by leveraging the power of correlation and contextualization. Phoenix Platform connects to your repositories, scanners, and cloud, correlates all the information, and provides you with a prioritized list of vulnerabilities that need to be addressed first. Discover how Phoenix Security helps CISOs and developers remove friction and maximize the use of DevSecOps professionals at phoenix.security. Phoenix Security. Correlate, contextualize, and act on risk with one click. And on, on that subject, actually, and we'd like to jump there, maybe caveat that there are vulnerabilities, there are the traditional vulnerability in a, in a cloud solution, because you have the traditional, as you say, Kubernetes or workflow that are still operating system. There is software that is running on them. There are products that are running on them. And then on top of that, there is misconfiguration, compliance. Like with the automation also comes a lot of classification that are fundamentally vulnerabilities or potential vulnerability, and we haven't rated them. And they still, 
work to do for fundamentally security engineers. So how we compare Apple and Apple when we don't have a metric system that compare them Apple and Apple? And you rightfully say CVSS has been, it's a 10 years old system that has been kind of tried to adapt to security vulnerability, but has that worked? And I want to hear your opinion because you you have developed a system. I think that uh, I've tried to use, uh, as everybody else, I guess, uh, every time there, there was a new uh, provider side, I mean, uh, this time, provider side vulnerability, I tried to rate it using CVSS. But usually what I found is that, you know, CVSS is... is uh, it's, it's really binary, let's say. For when when, you, when it comes to the cloud, it's either critical or it's medium-low uh, in terms of uh, severity. Uh, and it doesn't reflect, I think, the, the cloud model, which uh, I mean is, you know, when I talked about the imbalance a little bit earlier, there is an asymmetry in the cloud. We have uh, just a few providers and a lot of customers. So we have this lever, this lever effect, you know, uh, when there is a vulnerability in the cloud, it may only be, limited to maybe a subscription on an account or a resource group. It can be really local. But local for CVSS is already critical. You know, that's a problem. But, <laughs> and we're talking about the temporal score. Yes, yes. Also, but yes. But even the base score, even in the base score, as, as soon as you can get privilege escalation on, on a scope, uh-huh. even if it's a limited, limited to one customer, of course, it's already critical. But if you can... Imagine that you can take control of the cloud provider backend itself, the control plane, or perform cross-tenant violations. I think it's 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 still uh, more severe than uh, if it's restricted to a single customer. So, so I thought that we could imagine a new system that would reflect a little bit more this uh, this model, and so that not everything is uh, critical nine or critical ten out of ten. So I came up with a rating system, which I call the piercing index, which is that it takes into account orders of magnitude in, term, in terms of severity. So if, say, you have a vulnerability, which is really cross-tenant, it will be, uh, and it impacts both control and data plane, it will be uh, really uh, the maximum uh, level. If it's only the control plane, when you think about it, and not the data plane, it might not be that critical. It's, of course, very, very severe. But if it affects the control plane without a way to get into the customer data, data. The data plane, yeah, uh, it's, 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 less, it, you know, it's less severe than if you can get to the data plane of, uh, of cust- one customer or several customers. And then if, if the vulnerability only impacts one customer, uh, of course, it's less severe than if you can uh, impact uh, all the customers of the, the cloud. It's all concept of risk, like what is the ripple effect, what is the impact of a specific vulnerability, and I guess CVSS was was developed before the cloud. Of course, and uh, yes, of course. So I, I I don't know if we are going to to converge with the new system because everybody is talking about uh, CVSS uh, obsolescence today, and that it should be replaced. You know, there's this uh, uh, this bomb. Uh, you know, the conversation of uh, this uh, software bit of material and. As part of this bomb, we should find a new way to, uh, and the supply chain security, we should rate rate the vulnerabilities in the supply chain right from the source code of the various provider, uh, stuff like this. We should find a new way to replace CVSS. So there are in the industry lots of uh, push to replace CVSS. Uh, and I think it's, it's, it's a good, it's, it's, a, it's a healthy, it's a healthy push because we do have to do that for security chain, supply chain. 
are, are we going to to rethink the system and incorporate the cloud into, into this uh, this thing? I hope so, but I'm not sure uh, because I'm not sure we address the same uh, as I as I said before uh, the same concerns in ter- in terms of uh, orders of magnitude. But maybe. But uh, what's for sure is that CVSS is, is not uh, we can't we cannot use it anymore. It's not possible. And and also there is a problem with CVSS is you you talk about the temporal score, but there is also the environmental score which is important to take into account. It's, it's true that the, the environmental score is usually customer-dependent, right? So uh, you, usually you have a base score, which is relatively severe. It can be high or critical, but sometimes depending on the customer context, it can become low or, or, or medium. Uh, so we usually talk about the base score, but really the core issue and the, the, where we can bring the most value is, is the environmental score. This one, unfortunately, is, is not magic, right? Everybody has to put effort to We cannot just, uh, there is not just an app service which will tell you magically what's your environmental score. You have to have people working on that in each corporation to take into account the local environment. But I don't think that a new system will ease this uh, that much. It could help, especially in an environment where everything is automated. Imagine a supply chain with a, a CDCOI, or automation, standardization, of course, if we are all very standard and automated and DevSecOps, the environmental score will be much easier to calculate. But still, it has to be something that must be done in cooperation by cooperation, I, I believe. I do agree. Well, CVSS is older and we have the problem that is impact assessment. And as you say, it's asset management to understand the context of where a vulnerability materialize. And as you rightfully say, there is a ripple effect of how bad it could be, depending if it's a customer-driven vulnerability or a provider vulnerability. I want to be a little bit maybe controversial. Do we really need to measure the vulnerability of a cloud provider? Because 90% of the time, they get resolved even before they get discovered. While normally, CVSS is there for years. <laughs> and we don't have the, for, for most of the organization, we don't have a way or we haven't found a way to actually fix all the problem immediately before they get to production. Well, the speed and the rapidity that I've seen on cloud provider to react on specific vulnerability control plane, data plane, or, or customer specific has been impressive. So let me be controversial. Do we really need to measure the vulnerability? <laughs> That's very good. Excellent point, actually, Frank. Uh, you, you're completely right. It's a, it, I, I would say that even 100% of vulnerabilities were fixed before they were uh, responsibly disclosed because there is this process, responsible disclosure, which is uh, honored by every all parties, and it's great. I do agree that uh, they are fixed, but still, still, how us customers will be able to reason about these, those vulnerabilities if we don't have the common understanding of their impact, potential impact, I would say, not materialist impact, because as you said, uh, they were fixed before being divulged. I think it's very, very important to have this rating because we have to be ready. For me, what what ready means is I don't believe that uh, we will forever have, we have ethical hacker workings uh, trying to reach into uh, cloud providers. Sooner or later, we have the bad guys who are going more and more uh, look into into what cloud providers do. And if those guys manage to to get in and to break into the system, to become cross-tenant, you can imagine that uh, if we are unprepared, of course, the cloud providers themselves have to be prepared. And the fact that there are cloud researchers out there is 
a way to force them to react, you know, to be always on their lookout. But we also have to be prepared for that event. And uh, I think that every time a researcher manages find something, finds a vulnerability, we always have to have this very good reflex, this very good posture to say, what if this guy was a bad guy? What what could have been meant for, for me? So we, we should like a simulator drill uh, internally to see what would be the consequences. Are we safe? Aren't we safe? What can be learned from this finding? Can we generalize it uh, to other services, to other scopes? What, what could have we done on our, uh, as part of the cloud shared responsibility model? Sometimes we, we cannot do anything about it because it's completely... Um, it's too deep into the cloud provider backend, the, the problem. But sometimes there are things that we can do or we can improve. Uh, uh, and sometimes the, the cloud provider itself modifies things, you know, as a consequence of the vulnerabilities. They say they change something. For example, they change the way components will authenticate, they will deprecate something, they will strengthen some authentication. So we have to take this into account and modify the way we used to secure our, our service. So we have to be prepared to react fast and uh, to adapt our posture constantly. And for that, we need to measure, uh, I think, the severity of the of the vulnerability, even if it's not materialized. No, I do agree on that. My cheeky point was because they get reacted faster, they might get uh, ahead of the curve, or maybe there needs to be a system that is on a range from 1 to 10, similar to others, but is different for uh, endpoint and operating system and cloud and even software maybe because software and the software supply chain has a completely different structure that CPE and uh, the CNI of the CVSS and the CV don't really adapt to it. So maybe we need three scoring system, one for software, one for infrastructure, and one for cloud. They still relies on the same kind of severity. And maybe we have the chance here to actually bring in also impact and impact assessments and start finally talking about risk and probability. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's right. That's definitely we 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 might have to have three uh, three rating systems which are loosely coupled, let's say. At least we should be consistent with one another in terms of their rating. Yeah, I do agree. Interesting. Maybe as a as a conclusion, you've been living the cloud since the very early days. What is the probability of a cloud provider to actually get breached versus somebody making a mistake in the cloud tenants and doing something wrong? Of course, because of the fact that there are so many customers, the probability is much higher on the customer side. But for the, let's say, the, the seasoned uh, the seasoned customers, the ones, the big corporations, for example, which have lots of workforce working on the cloud security, the probability is not the same. And you know, when you are a big corporation, if you, especially if you're a regulated industry, you are used to oversee what your provider do. Okay, you must do that, and uh, it's very difficult in the cloud because the cloud is uh, one size of t-shirt for everybody. But still, you have to have an oversight of what the the guys are doing. You have to have an understanding of what how things work behind the scenes. Somehow, uh, usually, when you sign a contract with a hoster, a provider for for whatever application, you you are going to scrutinize, investigate the high level design, the low level design of, of the, what what service they they must render to you, and you cannot do that in the cloud except through audits. Audits are costly, are very difficult to set up cloud providers. You have to have a specific uh, clause in your contract for doing that. It's not scalable for them, uh, and so. Uh, 
I think that cloud vulnerabilities is one way to to look behind the curtain. You see, it it gives you insights of what's going on by the backend. So usually, the back, the reports from the researchers are very very detailed, and it, it gives you a lot lots lots of information of how things work. Just to a report from one researcher is is worth thousands of pages of high-level design or contractual documents. <laughs> so, so I think it's this kind of thing that helps a lot to gain the deep understanding of how they work, how they operate, how they improve themselves as well, because then you can t- try to correlate bits and pieces from what you've learned from looking behind the curtain. You have more and more information because now we have a lot of vulnerabilities which have been disclosed. The providers themselves are giving more and more documentation. I've seen recently that, uh, for example, AWS Nitro was uh, was documented. You're seeing more and more documents like this. Uh, Microsoft also has done its shares of, uh, of duties. They're communicating more and more, so you can correlate things. And uh, I think for guys who start working in cloud security, architects or pen tester or whatever, it really is a gold mine. We, I think, one of the first things they should do is not maybe gain certifications. It's not my main <laughs> priority, but they should read the, the, the reports of the researchers, try to step back, understand what it means, try maybe to replicate. Of course, the vulnerabilities were fixed, but try to to maybe to prototype the services which were affected to try to understand how they work from the inside. Maybe you cannot really uh, have hands-on experience because things were were blocked, but uh, you can look at the print, sc- the print screen and look at the reports. I think you will learn a lot, a lot, a lot from, from those reports. And they're really, really highly valuable. Most of the time, they're of excellent quality. It's, it's really, really nice. So cloud resilience and cloud probing, even if you're a customer, but still inside the boundaries of whatever the cloud providers say you could or couldn't do. I know that AWS, for example, get a little bit annoyed if you DDoS or if you do specific (laughs) tricks uh, and it might get into suspensions. Always, you know, read the clause whenever you do this. And and again, myself and Christopher, this is just our opinion. We don't recommend you to do anything or break anything. (laughs) But as we get into the conclusion, Chris, first of all, thank you very much. It's, it's a goldmine of information. And if you haven't go on blog posts that Chris shares on LinkedIn, they are a goldmine. But we have a tradition in the podcast, Chris, that is leaving everybody with a nice and positive message about our industry and cybersecurity. So what will be your final closing message? I would say that we are having more and more ways to make security easier in the cloud. cloud. We have this tool sprawl, as I said, but I think that the situation is much better than five years ago, because five years ago, you couldn't define your posture very easily. Now you have options. You can go defensive, you can go detective, and you can even have a best of breed, because traditionally, AWS was detective, Azure was more preventive, with policy. Now, for example, Azure has Sentinel, so it goes detective. Uh, and um, uh, Amazon has uh, hooks, CloudFormation hooks, which lets you be a little more preventive. So, so now we have options and we have automation. We have those fun, wonderful APIs, as I said, AWS Resource Explorer and Microsoft Graph APIs. So everything now is here for us to succeed in terms of security. We just have to make the right choice in terms of tools, strategy, 
native, not native, preventive, detective, both if we can. It's, <laughs> it's not the same as seven years ago. Now, I think that we can define as uh, customers, we can define a really efficient strategy and a meaningful one, and it was not possible before. That's why we shouldn't go on frame. It's not the time to go on frame now that we have the tools. Brilliant. And yeah, we don't advocate for being on-prem or off-prem, just evaluate what's more convenient and what's more rapid. Sometimes, you know, you might save a couple of bucks, but, you know, going into production with a couple of clicks and a line of configuration that is well-documented in a well-documented secure environment can pay off massively. So I'm a big fan of cloud security and native cloud security. Unfortunately, we don't have the time to go in all the discussion of security default and guardrail. Maybe we should do another another podcast of this. But Chris, thank you very much for coming on the show. Where can people find more about you, by the way? In the, on LinkedIn, I, I, I'm only uh, the only social network which I have time to uh, to follow and, and feed. Brilliant. And the link of the LinkedIn profile is going to be in the show notes. So please go thank and you. check out Christopher and everybody. Thank you very much for listening to the show. I hope you gain a little bit of more critical thinking about your cloud posture and your cloud provider, but also I hope we leave you with a nice and warm feeling that we're so much better than we were uh, five years ago when we had S3 buckets open to the (laughs) public by default and has been recently changed of them being closed by default. So we're getting better and the cloud provider are getting massively better. So thank you very much for coming on the show, Chris, and everybody stay safe out there. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Frank, for inviting me. Cheers. Bye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcast and post it on social media tagging Cybersecurity Cloud Podcast for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Discover other episodes at www.cybersecuritypodcast.com.